was walking down a street with my best friends we just left Weatherspoons and we was on the walk home and then we heard like uh, this, this Latin music coming from somewhere and we didn't know where so we followed the sound and then we ended up in this Latin bar and then we went inside because the like, music sounded great and when I went inside there was lots of couples dancing together like male female couples some of them were dancing on top of the tables and some of them were like intermingled with everybody else and they were all dancing I didn't know what type of dance it was it just looked so like cool and sexy and uh, alluring I thought I want to learn to dance rather appropriately for a conversation about masculinity you may hear in the background the upstairs neighbor crying for his father you may not but just in case you can I just thought I'd explain it normally I would not record until he'd finished crying but I'm very pushed for time just this minute so there we go some extra background sound for background sound fans also I'm only really here at the beginning of the episode just to do a little bit of signposting like I like to do so first of all this conversation it touches on some of the darker elements around masculinity so there is kind of mention of rape culture and violence and things like that but that stuff isn't the focus of the conversation and it's only lightly touched on when it does come up and the other thing that I wanted to say at this point is that in this conversation I did try to be non-binary when I was talking about gender but I think both myself and my guest are pretty binary in our discussion and so one thing I would like to suggest is that when you hear us use the word man you add in the word cis or cisgender before that man in your head uh, and that's pretty much what we're talking about and same goes for uh, when we say the word woman I do wish I'd used those terms at the time but because I get to put a thing at the beginning of the episode I can at least suggest that you might like to consider adding them for yourselves when hearing the conversation hello I'm Dave I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together I need to get better please make me better I want to get better Better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Craig. Hello, Craig. Hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, nice to meet you. I mean, we've met a couple of times, yep. but not very much. Like that, we haven't really talked before. We've talked on the mm. way from the tube station to here, <laughs> and we've talked in a crowded room. Yeah, uh, and that's it. Um, so I, I feel like it's very good of mm. you to 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 come out to my to my flat, but also to kind of like to put your trust in me to a certain extent. Mm. The first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? Well, the first time I saw you was at the Smut Slam events, right. which was in uh, Brixton. I think it was about five six months ago, maybe something like that. Mm. And I was interested to go to Smut Slam just because it looked fun. So I called my best friend to go with me, and so we went to Brixton for a night out, had a few beers, and listened to all the different stories that people told at Smart Slam, which was awesome. And then you got up and told a story there. I can't remember the exact parts of the story, but I yeah. remember... Uh, I haven't told many stories at Smart yeah. Slam. I think, yeah, that was probably my virginity story. Really? I imagine I told. Yeah, <laughs> I just, yeah that's an interesting... Yeah, that's an interesting 
way to, for someone yeah. to know you by telling us a, a story about yeah. your sex life. But then there's a bit where the people involved with Smut Slam can do a plug for things mm. they're doing. And I said, I'm doing a, a show about masculinity. I've got that online mm. um, and, and ask people to go and listen to it. Mm. And you kind of stopped me afterwards and said, oh, I study masculinities mm. and I'd be interested in hearing your show. And then I sent you my show mm. uh, and then you liked it and you kind of had a, a very positive reaction to that, which was all very great to hear. Yeah, yeah very validating, I guess, mm. um, in lots of ways. And so, yeah, that was why I kind of said, like, we're interested in the same mm. thing. And it's a good way of getting to know new people anyway, getting them on this show. Mm. And also, I think you wanted to kind of bend my ear a little bit about mm. podcasts. And uh, <laughs> what better place to do that than in public? Mm. But of course, um, we can also talk afterwards. So mm. don't feel you need to, to ask me every question that you might have about <laughs> podcasts here. That's great. And the second question that I ask everybody is what do you do now? Uh, well, I'm a, a doctor. I'm <laughs> uh, not a medical doctor. Right. Uh, I can't fix any of your broken legs or any help you with that. But I'm a doctor in psychology. I'm a lecturer at university, at St Mary's University, which is in Twickenham, like on the outskirts of London. I conduct research and uh, also teach students who go to university who do degrees in psychology. Right. So that's my main sort of work activities, which... Maybe we can dip into some of the Absolutely. research and, uh, and some of the... Like my main research focuses on masculinities, right. which is based upon like my PhD research. And now I'm doing some other research projects as well that focus on masculinities as well, but in, just in, in different contexts. Right, okay. So, right, so you're, yeah. you're an academic doctor, yes. but you're looking at psychology. Yep. So, mm. and psychology is kind of... The, that. It's a grey area between medicine science and well it's got the stereotype hasn't it that you and can like kind of study right yeah that it's you both. can like either read people's minds right which is just mumbo jumbo <laughs> complete mumbo jumbo of course and the other stereotype is that you like analyze people on couches right and, like, and i do neither of those. you do neither of those i things. do neither of those so i'm interested more in like social psychology and like the uh, how people interact in in daily life and how who we are is in, influenced by our society and by our culture right and you know, that's like my main interest is like there's a huge influence you know like when you travel the world and you get on a plane go to the other side of the world you realize how different people are and that's you know for for, for me at least it's because they've had like this radically different upbringing and they live in radically different cultures and i'm fascinated by how culture and society influences the way we make sense of the world and the way we grow and look and shape and talk and right things like that and i guess it's a, like mm. it's a social science in that you apply kind of scientific kind of study type approaches to culture mm. rather than to individuals it's like not medical it's it's more about looking at like how social forces affect individuals mm. right yeah is that, that would be kind of fair to say i mean yeah so before we kind of get into masculinities mm-hmm. um what attracted you to the topic of, of, of psychology primarily money <laughs> <laughs> in the sense that um back when i was doing my undergrad i was mainly interested in, in sociology which is a little bit different it's like the study of society and looking at how people are influenced by society right and um but then when I tried to do a PhD, I needed to get funding, you know, to pay for it. And uh, people that were offering money were psychologists. Right. So in order to make that financial jump, I needed to uh, sort of change disciplines a little bit. Right. But luckily, there's a big overlap between sociology and psychology. They're both looking at, like, the individual, like, human. But sociology is a bit more focused on society. And psychology is focused a bit more on the individual. But there's obviously an, right. an overlap between the two. 
I can't help but see them as almost the same thing. Mm. Like, when I think about these things... Yeah, one of the things that I think is quite important, because I'm, I'm going through therapy at the moment, mm. I'm getting therapy on the NHS, and I've talked to quite a few people about kind of therapy and uh, both people, practitioners who, who are therapists and people who've been through therapy, and I, re- I read a lot on these kind of mm. issues. And it seems to me that so much kind of gets located often within the person when there's all of these systems that mm. make a lot of sense why people have mm. kind of psychological problems. Um, like an example that I use in one of my lectures to illustrate the exact same point is anorexia. And so like, there's multiple explanations of why people are anorexic. And I'm not sure what the answer is, but I just uh, pose some different you know, suggestions. One like more psychological approach is to look at it in terms of like uh, faulty cognitions, as in like I put a picture of a like, cartoon picture of a woman looking in the mirror and there's an argument that uh, anorexic people, they like they misread their body. So they think they're fatter than they are. So it's got a picture of a slim woman, but she looks in the mirror and she sees herself fat. So there you're sort of locating the problem. It's a problem within the person. They're not seeing themselves right. Right. However, then on the next slide, I, I put a, a picture of a, a woman's magazine, which is, is is crying out for women to be slim, be slim, be, you know, don't be fat, lose your bum, what, uh, you know. And yeah. so it's like, OK, it might not just be this faulty thinking. There's this whole society telling women that they've got to be thin. Right. And it's not surprising that women are, like, much higher, have much higher problems with anorexia than men. Right. So you've got these different explanations. Is it in the person or is it society or combination of two i mean it seems mm. obvious to me that it's a combination mm. of the two but the thing is that there are these big kind of structural things mm. that we we aren't trying to treat when we're tr- trying mm. to treat individuals with mm. psychological problems or like whatever we want to call it mental health issues is mm. what i tend to uh, go with i don't know why today i decided to mm. say psychological problems mm. maybe because i'm talking to a psychologist <laughs> uh, but the obvious other one as well as race racism i think is like capitalism like i think that is a big part like the way that working life is structured all sorts of kind Mm. of elements around that you know class poverty all of these things seem like very clear reasons why people Mm. would be depressed or would be anxious Mm. Um, and we have both of those kind of conditions are happening more or or are they happening more and and Mm. now we're able to analyze them better and we Mm. actually see them for what they are Mm. who knows but they're certainly happening a lot Mm. um and then you know the other kind of obvious thing to me that creates mental health issues is mm. you know patriarchy and mm. uh, masculinity in some framings mm. which hopefully not too cack handedly uh, gets onto the, onto the topic of masculinities mm. which is your research right mm. and so you're looking at that from the point of view of someone who's a psychologist right or, or mm. a, a doctor of psychology mm. what's your perspective on, on mm. masculinities from a psychological point mm. of view well uh, that's a big question yeah. I just realised <laughs> Well, I'm more like a sociologist uh, with the name of a psychologist, or <laughs> there's sort of like a part of psychology which I can fit into, luckily, which is called critical social psychology. Okay. So it's like looking at social issues, but with like a more critical take, which is what you've just been talking about, all this critique of the wider social society. So that's like the broad kind of label I put on myself. And then, uh, broadly speaking, there's a few different like theories that I like to use, and I've been thinking about. Um, I'm not sure where to start or like how to. Uh, well, is, start um, wherever seems appropriate, yeah. and we'll get around. Like, it's a it's yeah. a long long conversation. <laughs> uh, maybe it's like best to give an example. Maybe maybe that would be the best yeah. one. Yeah. Like in my 
start with my PhD is probably the best one. Uh, my PhD was about uh, studying of uh, men who dance. Right. So back when I was at university, I just finished my degree and was walking down a street with my best friends. Right? We just left Weatherspoons and we was on the walk home and then we heard like uh, this, this, this Latin music coming from somewhere and we didn't know where. So we followed the sound and then we ended up in this, uh, in this Latin bar and then we went inside because the like, music sounded great. And when I went inside, uh, there was lots of couples dancing together, like male-female couples. Some of them were dancing on top of like um, on top of tables, and some of them were like intermingled with everybody else. And they were all dancing. I didn't know what type of dance it was, uh, but it was like something Latin. And then we just had a beer and started watching them. And then it just looked so like cool and sexy and uh, alluring. I thought I want to learn to dance. So that then became the topic of my PhD was like men who want to dance. At that time, like this was like ten years ago, uh, like no one in my family danced. Like no men in my family danced. None of my male friends throughout my whole life danced. I'd never danced apart from drunken dancing in nightclubs. Right. But no one had ever been to a dance class. So there's this whole like history. In, in England of like and in my family that men don't dance right. like why don't they dance and at the same time as that and this was in like 2006 I'm, I'm not sure if you remember but Strictly was like had a couple of years it's been going a couple of years and Darren Goff was on right. he's a famous cricketer right. and then he went on to Strictly Come Dancing and he was like a real like macho-y kind of you know northern lad and then he like we started to learn to dance, he became quite good. And then in the media, everyone was like praising him on the show, they were worshipping My mum was like, oh, he's so great. He's, he's a dancer, but he's still macho. So it was like fascinating how he was sort of starting to break down these stereotypes and sort of starting somehow to negotiate masculinity and dance. And that really fascinated me, like how he was able to like show that you can be masculine and still dance, you know. So that was like the main impetus for my sort of road that's continued for the last 10 years yeah right so it started with dancing it started with dancing nice yeah that's, so. that's interesting that's a really interesting <laughs> place for it to come from yeah and 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 have has your research topics have you have you kind of broadened them out into other areas mm. of masculinities from there mm. well uh, for my PhD I focused on two dancing one was Latin and ballroom dancing so I went to like dance classes for four years and learned to Latin ballroom dance and that was that was lots of fun hmm. and then the other half uh, of my PhD was about capoeira have you have you heard of capoeira before I haven't you haven't okay I have danced I did st- I studied yeah. dance for a year at uni, yeah oh, cool. um, but I have not heard of yeah, that okay. okay well capoeira is from Brazil um, it's like a dance cross with a martial art but it's also played in the form of a game. Right. right. And you might have seen them, like... like did, did you ever play Tekken when you was a boy? Yeah. I, okay, in Tekken there was a character called Eddie Gordo. Did you remember Eddie Gordo? Yeah. And he did capoeira. Okay. He's sort of like jumping around and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> and there was a video which most people would know. It was about, again, about 10 years ago with a couple of guys playing on top of a roof in London. They're doing like cartwheels and they're kicking and dodging. And that is, that's like capoeira. It's sort of like a circle of people who are like clapping and singing songs in Brazilian. And in the centre, there's two people who are like fighting, but in a sort of playful way when they're not trying to beat each other up. They're trying to like dance in a fighty way. Right. And so you were contrasting that. I was contrasting that, which is sort of like, so that came from Brazil. It came from the slaves and like the, like the historical story is that the slaves were taken from Africa to Brazil. They wanted to like keep their martial arts training. But in order to do that, they had to disguise it as a dance. So like the slave masters didn't think they were like 
practicing and getting strong you know and now like decades later it's now sort of traveled the world and come to England so it was it was warfare training disguised as dance exactly interesting with music as well it's got like right. some like uh, real simple sort of instruments that they play and then you sing songs that person like the leader will sing like the chorus then everyone responds so it's really cool and uh, it's difficult to try and describe but the best thing is check out capoeira on youtube and it'll blow your mind it sure looks, it looks awesome and i mean and that sounds like yeah. quite a, a masculine dance if you mm. like or a kind mm. of masculine dance mm. and like quite a lot of the time men when they do dance it's quite kind of it's very uh yeah competitive mm. <laughs> um but then i guess quite often you know, there's always going to be an element of mm. dance that's going to be competitive, I guess. Mm. I'm a bit scared of competitiveness, generally mm. speaking, because I often associate it with negative uh, qualities. But I try to remember that there's mm. plenty of nice things about being competitive mm. for other people. Mm. Uh, it's just I don't, I don't do mm. it. Um, and what, so what, was you comp- what were you contrasting it with? So, were you, so, did you say so, South? Yeah, uh, uh, Latin and ballroom. So right, Latin and ballroom. Which has okay. got more of like a sort of feminine history, or at least right. it's like in classes, always more women than men in class. Right, right. So I was like contrasting a more sort of female-dominated or feminine or right. dance with a more male-dominated like masculine dance and seeing how like beginners who come into class like how they progress and how they negotiate these like historical discourses in England that dancing's for girls or if you dance you're gay how they're like negotiated differently in both of these dances right and so I basically found some similarities but some differences so for example in the Latin and ballroom dancing one uh, lots of the advertisements and lots of the talk amongst male dancers when they first start to dance is that they're going to dance classes to pull women. You know, it's like you come to the dances, loads of women, you get to flirt with women, you get to dance close with women. Yeah. You know, very heterosexual kind of male bravado bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it, it seems to work quite well, and guys like use that kind of that discourse, that idea to justify that dancing is acceptable. But then once you sort of get into dance and you sort of want to dance sort of close to women in a non-sexual way you can't talk like that because women won't want to dance with you you know you can't you know so then you have to sort of like the more you like dance close with women in hold like you're you're literally like touching women all the time and like really close together you know in uh in waltz for example right you sort of like your hips like touch together and you're like pushing the woman around the dance floor with your hip kind of thing like you've got to get to this point where you're comfortable touching women and really close and they're comfortable touching you and it's like non-sexualized it's just interesting like you're just mates with these women yeah like dozens of women and you're just totally at ease going up to them and just touching them really closely and then it sort of pushes you beyond this I'm going to dance to poor women it's like a whole different kind of you build a more respect for right. women and then you show that respect and they show it back to you and then you you know so that is, it's a nice challenge I think and so you think like like, I mean, obviously, there's going to be different kinds of experiences that different men have mm. when they uh, start dancing. But do you think so? Do you think it's quite a positive, like potentially it kind of mm. gives insight and kind of a different take on masculinity by the act of becoming a dancer? Mm. Like, it sounds like what you're saying mm. is, is, is something around that. Right. Yeah, definitely. Like there's like this whole new appreciation of, of the aesthetics of your own body. You know, you start looking at yourself as this like beautiful object, and you want to make yourself look aesthetically pleasing. Right. You know the way your body looks to people watching you. Right. Which is like that's a different. That's quite a challenge as well. Like men, oh, yeah. men are not 
historically posed to see themselves as like this aesthetically pleasing beautiful object no this is true <laughs> and then you're like you're looking at yourself in the mirror when you're dancing you know to make sure you know does my body look good like this and so that's a nice uh, a nice change that like changes the way men look at themselves and view their body and you get like happy showing off your body and posing and right and, and that becomes like a pleasurable activity to do right that everyone in dance classes wants and they cheer and they support you to do that which is like quite awesome you know so yeah and that's really fun and so you... and and like so and so you did a whole phd on this mm, yeah it was like for four years I'd, i attended dance classes and uh, at the beginning, I was a beginner. I'd never danced. And then, so I went to dance classes for Latin Ballroom for four years and for Capoeira for four years. And uh, during that time, I just went regularly. I learned to become Caparista and a Latin Ballroom dancer. I also interviewed other Caparistas. That's what they called Capoeira players, the Capristas and dancers, some, uh, some men and women. I also took photos of class activities, you know, because it's like really visual activity, you know, um, dancing. And then after that, I had to write it up, unfortunately, which is the killer for a PhD, yeah. and try to analyse... You know, I was just looking at the, the transitions that happened as you transition from being a beginner uh, to a more advanced dancer and how your masculinity changes. And, right. you know, you're able to draw upon different resources. You talk differently about masculinity and your, your body actually changes as well as you become a dancer. And, like, for example, in capoeira, you become, like, infinitely more flexible. So another problem for men is flexibility historically you know most men are quite inflexible aren't they i guess so I mean, unless you go to like maybe yoga or <laughs> well it's to do with how we how, how we are conditioned to carry ourselves yeah. to a certain extent mm. and how we're and our, and our relationship mm. with our body i think mm. i think i can think of very flexible men mm. um so hopefully some of those yeah. conditionings are, mm. c- conditions are different mm. and i think definitely globally there will be mm cultures with more flexible men mm. than than others because I would assume of, india maybe <laughs> right, well, because of what people do like what yeah. what, what activities mm. they're putting their bodies yeah, through yeah um but i don't know i don't mm. know if men are kind of uh, so more innately inflexible i think i was looking more at like english men yeah. right yeah specifically. So specifically english men and like how the culture has sort of made us inflexible as a sort of a broad generalization in right the sense that no, sort of like uh like Girls in England are more likely to be encouraged to go to dance classes or to go to gym, yeah. where a boy, you know, which is like you have to be flexible or you're encouraged, you know, through activities to be flexible. Where at least in England, like you know, be, going to maybe football or traditional rugby is sort of not like being flexible is not high on the list of attributes. Is you know, right? It's more about strength. And, I mean, I think that's an know. interesting thing, though. I think um, if you look at like modern day rugby mm. uh, training and mm. modern day football mm. training I mean I'm saying this as someone who isn't that sporty mm. don't know, <laughs> I don't really know anything about it but what I do know, I do think I've heard that they get dance uh, kind of some sometimes mm. they get dance training or at least like um, yoga or ballet or that mm. sort of thing be, probably for the reasons you're talking about mm. because a sports person will do something to make their body better mm. whether it conforms to gender stereotypes <laughs> mm, or not you know definitely yeah um so that's an interesting kind of 
I've heard those ones about ballet. I would love to be able to go and watch that. If there was ever <laughs> a rugby class, you know, with rugby guys who were encouraged to do ballet, I would pay money to go and do research on that. That would be amazing. I mean, that's it. Yeah. But I mean, so so your research, like, uh, so you were drawing on your own personal experience for a start, right? uh, To start with, yeah. And, and like, is that looked on well or, like, within mm. academia to kind of mm. make yourself... The study. Mm. I mean, it depends uh, what like part of academia yeah. you're in. Um, there's like radical different views on it, right? Um, <laughs> and especially within psychology, the group of people that I sort of read, or, or people and the people I hang around with at conferences and whose work I draw upon, they completely support it. You know, and yeah. there's a whole range of arguments why, you know, that is valuable to draw, draw upon your own experience or to a bit like what we're doing. We're bouncing our experiences off each other and yeah. seeing like how we can empathise with each other and I have a different experience oh no so how's yours and then you know so there's a conversation to be had there Yeah. but then if you go to more like sciencey kind of approaches they completely ban the like your individual self from research it's all about being scientific objective and so if I talk to those people they're like what are you doing talking about yourself I mean, so it just depends who you talk to and yeah. you know I mean yeah. I don't know if I think i believe in the concept of objectivity anyway Mm. like that's people who are talking about being rational and Mm. objective i'm often quite suspect of and also i i often think that they are also fulfilling certain Mm. uh pre-arranged pre kind of predetermined uh behaviors of masculinity Mm. like when like it's it's often men who have this kind of idea Mm. of like rational Mm. logical (laughs) objective sensible all of these words like i don't know they're they're coded um masculine generally and Mm. they're also kind of used by men to not listen to other people's experiences Mm. um and that's so it's really interesting to me Mm. that that's you're you're taking this approach though Mm. of of you know I mean, basically it sounds like you're to a certain extent your phd was was the kind of thing that i do uh, for no money on the <laughs> internet like that you're you were talking to other people mm. getting their experiences yeah. you were talking about your experience mm. um and then you know i mean when i did my masculinity show i also mm. did a survey of a, th- a, th- a thousand men's feelings on masculinity and patriarchy mm. so um yeah and I should I should have applied for funding. It seems. <laughs> um, but 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 that's a really kind of nice approach. I think mm. an interesting approach. Um, is it? Do you think like that in that kind of approach, like making things like the personal being political yeah. and um, talking about lived experience, your lived experience, mm. and uh, other people's lived experience, and studying those things in different ways? I mean, mm. do you think almost the, this approach isn't that traditionally masculine? Like in terms of academic version of masculinity, mm. uh, it sounds it seems like your kind of mm. your whole research kind of the shape of mm. what you're doing uh, challenges mm. kind of a, an, an idea of what an academic mm. ma- man would be doing. I mean, do you th- yeah. do you feel that, or am I kind of insulting no, no, you? No, 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 no. <laughs> um, and, and I think what you're trying to like say is, or like what links to what you're trying to say yeah. is, there's a whole sort of history of feminist research you know feminist research in academia that sort of i'm sort of just drawing upon like 30 years you know of research that has been arguing the same as what i'm doing for 30 years that you don't have to be objective rational and use scientific method you know there's lots of feminist arguments uh, about bringing yourself into the research about that subjectivity you know that you can't be objective is inevitable yeah. and all these arguments have been made for like 20 30 years it, 
in in some fields in sociology geography psychology so i'm not saying anything radically new i'm just drawing upon like it's sort of like it's not the most popular you know set of arguments but loads of people have made these arguments so you just cite or look they've made it and this person's world famous so if they can do it i'm sure i can do it as well yeah yeah. i mean who do you draw on well um in terms of well, again, there's like there's a whole range of different like researchers that I draw upon, so it's hard to say that nail it down to one. I guess well, maybe my famous don't nail it down to one. Like my yeah. fa- uh, like my favorite one at the moment, at least, is there's uh, a guy called uh, Michel Foucault. He's a French guy, and yeah, he read, read some Foucault. Yeah. So I particularly like his arguments, although he didn't like necessarily focus on uh, masculinity. He focused on a range of different stuff, like from madness, and he focused on uh, homosexuality and a range of other topics. And his sort of interests, like he had a few different interests. One was looking at history, seeing how like we make sense of things differently at different points in history. Right. So, for example, madness was like he did historical analysis in different points in time and shows how madness is made sense of differently. Then he did a study of sexuality and looked at the Greeks and how they made sense of sexuality. Then he did a historical study like, later on. In some of my lectures, I try and like like make a point that at one point in time, uh, like the concept of homosexuality didn't exist. You know, it was like a social construction. That's like one of his big arguments that we like socially construct categories like heterosexual and homosexual and bisexual. And so it's like, you know, to try and identify and what are these categories doing? So so Foucault is really like useful and he looks at how sort of there are like discourses in society, like uh, like sets of ideas that we draw upon to make sense of different issues you know like what is masculine depends on the discourses in our society right if you go to china what is masculine is something different if you go to africa and the same for other things like like beauty what is beauty beauty change what what we understand as beauty changes historically so if you go back in time you know different shapes and sizes are beautiful and if you go across the world you, you get on a plane what is beauty yeah it changes so Foucault's really good in drawing upon making that argument which i really like and you're drawing on Foucault. You're drawing mm. on uh, feminist criticisms yeah. as well, like yeah, so critiques and stuff, ideas. Yeah. And so, and you you started off with dance. You started mm. off looking at yourself with dance. I mean, what other kind of areas of masculinity are you kind of yeah. interested in? Uh, I've got two. I've started two new research projects recently over the last year or so. Uh, one of them is about laddism in right. on university campuses. Back at my previous university, there uh, there was like a like the students' union were building upon like a wider process of activism by the NUS, like for the country, to try and challenge ladism on campus. Ladism, or lad culture, is this um, concept trying to sum up sort of some of the more stereotypical masculine behaviours. It's often linked to sort of getting drunk and this group pack mentality of being boisterous and sort of sexist, and it's sort of like a label to sort of put all the bad stuff together that guys do, really. And so there's lots in the media over the last couple of years critiquing, you know, like picking out really bad cases where guys have been really sexist or it's sometimes linked to rape culture as well. So something like the really bad stuff that guys do, like slut-shaming, you know, where they sort of pick drunk women up in cars late at night to say they're going to take them home and help them out and they drop them in the middle of nowhere. And it's sort of... So lots of bad stuff, really. 
But on the other hand, lots of guys considered themselves lads. Getting drunk is completely normal uh, on university campuses in England. It's sort of like normalised. Mm. And some of the other stuff, like joking and engaging in banter, you know, between guys, is like a completely normal thing that guys do without necessarily being sexist. So you've got like, on the one hand, you've got all these really negative stuff and negative activities. And on the other hand, you've got like maybe some less harmful, like normalised stuff, just getting drunk. But now the universities are trying to like, tackle lad culture and ban lad culture and you know try and get rid of lad culture on the one hand but the problem is some of the students the male students don't interpret lad culture in the same way as what the people who are trying to get rid of it is that they're like painting it as this really bad thing but then right. the lads are going well, well i don't agree with that but i'm still a lad so there's this tension between you know it's more complex than the way they're trying to tackle it right that's interesting yeah. i mean because because lad culture there's a few there's there's a lot of different elements to mm. it. I mean, there's class, this big mm. part of it. Like, lad culture, I think, originally was like coding working class uh, behaviours as problematic. Um, but over time, lad culture has come to be more specific things mm. than, than it did when I was... Because, I mean, lad, lad culture was a phrase being used when I was at university, mm. like, in 2000. So, like... It's been around for a mm. while, but you're right as well. In the last few years, it has been something mm. that's been picked up on. I mean, it's 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 complicated as well. Like like wait, like like you say, mm. who gets who gets seen as a lad and who mm. doesn't is a very interesting thing. Like mm. sometimes I think about myself when I was at university, and I think no external people would have called me a lad but there were I was you know definitely I was engaging in lad behaviors mm. both um the more innocuous ones that you're talking about of like being uh you know drinking or you know hijinks or whatever but but also in some of the more negative ones that you're mm. talking about of being sort of sexist without realizing it mm. being loud dominating the space mm. like probably not as bad as the worst idea of what somebody who is a mm. lad is but certainly not outside of that mm. and and that's the thing i i think one of the things i feel with lad culture is it it seems to say those men over there mm. are the problem and i feel like that lets off a lot of other men mm. at the same time as specifically blames like men based on stereotypes that are not necessarily mm. they're not necessarily living up to yeah, definitely. that's really interesting though that you're looking at that yeah. i mean so that's come up a lot in like the like the debate is is on the one hand um the people who are trying to tackle that culture they say right we don't want to pinpoint any specific group to blame them and pick them out but on the other hand they always pick out uh, rugby players and football players you know who are right. like seen as like the you know like the like the pinups or the stand-ups who are like these are the people who are the worst and it's always the rugby players who this is the first thing that comes to mind when people think of it it's sport drinking and rugby but then yeah but, but then those... as you say it's much more wider it's not just those it's like it filters through lots of different activities that like exactly as you said people who don't consider themselves lads still engage in some of those activities right so it's quite easy just to blame a few people and pin it on them when it's you know that's the easy option isn't it you well know? it's structural too right <laughs> yeah. i mean that's one of the things that you're yeah. you're talking about in terms of you know look using sociology mm. as a way to kind mm. of uh as a lens to sort of view the individual through mm. like that's yeah i mean when you're a lad like in culture you are not just an, in, an individual you're within a system mm. and the, the groups that you're talking about rugby players and mm. football players teams teams yeah. are likely to 
cause problems as well. Like there mm. are structural problems with groups of young men mm. who have grown up in a sexist society being put into sort of situations where they're mm. in competition with each other <laughs> and not seeing any other kind of Options. not seeing very many mm. women mm. and like then going out into spaces where women are together as a group mm. uh, unaware of the threateningness of them of that group but also sometimes very aware of that threatening and mm. uh, nature of that group I mean I, I'm quite scared of rugby players and football players I'm not going to lie but at the same time a lot of really good friends of mine are rugby players and football players we just pretend yeah. that that's not the case mm. uh, when we when we see each other because mm. we have no interest in those things to talk to mm. to each other but you know it's it is more complicated mm. than that and like a, like another fascinating thing that you should pick up on is that people act differently in different groups don't they in the sense that you know you're like when you're with your mates in one context you're going to act one way but then when you're with your, your girlfriend or your wife or your mum or you're in your job people act very differently so you know like so in that context, a lad in one context is is going to act, you know, massively different in different in a different context. So right, and I mean, are you? Where do you sort of fall within this? Then do you think that we need to kind of reform and change the elements of kind of masculinity that create lad culture, like across mm. the board? But but including lad culture, or do you think that mm. there are positives to be got from lad culture that we can mm. like? keep mm. hold of and get rid mm. of the rest I mean what do you what do you I, feel what do you feel I think my thinking on this is is trying to like separate maybe the good and the bad sides you know trying to have a debate and a conversation with you know different groups and including obviously people who can see themselves as lads uh, include the every, you know guys who don't include all as many groups as you can who are like interested parties to say okay let's debate you know what is more acceptable and what is seen as you know unacceptable in today's society in the UK, you know, but obviously there's no right or wrong answers. But I think it's just through dialogue and trying to get different people's points of view. But I wouldn't suggest there's a right way to do it. But right, that's the best I can come up with. I think is but you mean... it's just more debate and discussion and try. Like there's also the suggestion that universities are trying to like instigate policies that this is not allowed and that's not allowed. Which you know, some things make sense, you know, explicit racism, or explicit homophobia, and explicit sexism. But then again, there's subtle, more subtle stuff, you know, you know, that's difficult to say. Is this sexist or is it not sexist? Right. And then you know, different people interpret it in different ways. So right. It, you know, like in practice, it's not easy. <laughs> well, no, I mean, life isn't right, yeah. and it's it's always really hard mm. to separate what's social, mm. what's personal, mm. what's like it's 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 always, it's it's hard to mm. even understand ourselves, let alone mm. anybody else. Mm. So all of that makes sense. But I mean, like when you mm. like, do you accept though that there are kind of problems within kind of lad culture or masculine culture, like? Mm. Well, it's sort of lots of the lad culture stuff is normalised in everyday society. Yeah. Like uh, sexualising women, for example, it's sort of everywhere you go. Like you walk out the door, every advert for more or less anything now has a sexy woman being sexy, whether it's just like Waitrose and she's eating the apple with like big lips looking juicy and, you know, beautiful. It's, you know, the sexualizer. You know, the sexualization of women is everywhere, and then possibly lad, lad culture is just the more extreme end of that. But it's a sliding scale between the normalization. No, absolutely. You know, so, I mean, I'm not keen on yeah, it. No. Uh, like, there are many things I'm not keen about 
the way that masculinity is framed mm. within this this culture mm. um and definitely it doesn't just mm. uh it isn't just located within student mm. uh culture and mm. i i think there are complexities around all of this mm. stuff um but i do think there is also serious dangers in mm. universities and mm. se- serious dangers within masculinities mm. like it's not like it's it's not like just about the the lighter stuff is one end of a spectrum that mm. ends with you know really dark stuff mm. and they're connected together i think yeah. so i think you do have to address the lighter stuff that mm. is still leading us towards mm. the, the really dark stuff mm. you know so that you so you were saying that there were, that's one area that you're interested in researching yeah and then the other one that i'm working on at the moment i've just moved into is focusing on the how men's magazines talk about penises right yeah that was like a random idea that came to me i'm working with a colleague at the moment dr christine campbell and her area of expertise is uh sex and sexuality and mine's masculinity and so i came up with this idea to focus on the like how sex is talked about in men's magazines uh, it's just just so we could do a project together and combine our interests and our like skills. But there's already quite a lot of research about how sex is talked about. So then we focus more specifically on how penises are talked about. Right. So what we basically did was we read four magazines. We went online and looked at uh, GQ, Loaded, Attitude and Men's Health and searched for all the articles that talk about penises. And we basically just read all the articles and then we analysed them to try and pick up what were like the main messages that were being conveyed about masculinity and penises. And uh, we basically found two broad discourses, two like sets of ideas about masculinity. One of them was laddish, so draws upon exactly what we've been talking about and links in with that. And the other discourse was medicalised. So it's more of like a medicalised way of talking about... Uh, penises those were like underpinned by two approaches on the one hand penises were celebrated you know they were held up as these amazing things and on the other hand they were traumatized so there's lots of articles that were like talking about how penises are chopped off mutilated and dismembered (laughs) (laughs) so quite a funny topic yeah so uh, we were interested in that because like the penis uh, academically has not been talked about in like much uh, I don't know why. Like, there's lots of feminist research that talks about vaginas because vaginas are like central to femininity and penises central to masculinity. But there's not been much talk about penises. I mean, they don't have to be central to no. femininity or masculinity <laughs> either. But like, they're located as central. But I, I agree. I agree. Socially, culturally, culturally, and socially. Yes. But, but that said, like there, yeah. there is like there are people who are feminine who have penises. There are people mm. who are masculine who have mm. uh, vulvas and vaginas. Mm. So like I, I accept mm. that they are, mm. they are, we are, we are where mm. we are. We're talking about mm. what culture is rather than mm. reality necessarily. Mm. But yeah. but anyway, yeah. Yeah. So you're right. Like there is th- that is central to a lot of <laughs> feminist discourse. Not always the feminisms that I agree with mm. all the time. That that kind of put the vagina central mm. to the discourse. Um, but they're much open to talk about it, and there's basically a silence from guys in in everyday conversation when you're having a chat with your mate. And uh, if you do talk about penises, it's typically, you know, a very celebratory. Yeah, everything's work. It's big. It's functioning. It's huge. It's hard all the time. It's, uh, at least from at least from what was in the in the magazines. There's not right. much everyday relaxed conversation 
about penises, guys sort of don't talk. Like they That's only, definitely like they true. They don't talk about I'm it, or if they do, it's you know, yes, I gave her an <laughs> orgasm for ten times with my penis. You know, it's right. very celebratory, or it's like it's either funny or mm. it's uh, yeah. amazing prowess. I see. Yeah. And like, if it's funny, yeah, it mm. often is funny in like pain kind of ways. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. So I mean, I don't deny that that's that, that's the mm. men don't talk about their penises in a, mm. or people who have penises who are coded <laughs> as men yeah. don't talk about their penises in a very affectionate way. Mm. Like they talk about it in a kind of, not in a very realistic way necessarily, mm. or or affect. Like I think affectionate is the right word. Like it, when I said not in an affectionate way, I was like, hang on, loads of men are like bragging, but that's yeah. different. Mm. Bragging isn't the same as being mm. like comfortable with your mm. body. Like, like, um, and certainly we don't see penises as beautiful things mm. very often. Like they're, they're threatening things <laughs> or they're kind of hy- hypersexual kind mm. of things, but we don't see them as very beautiful, mm. like pretty. Mm. Like it's not a word. Like I don't, mm. You don't hear people often saying, about you know talking about pretty penises yeah. like men or women yeah. or like or any any gender I do agree, but then one of the interesting things that come up in like the medicalized discourse that we talked about, and this was mainly in men's health magazine um which was there's now this like this move to encourage men to to take care of their penis and care about its aesthetic look, things like manscaping uh, right yes and uh, sort of now <laughs> men are called upon it. It doesn't. It's not just about being big and strong. You've also got to make it look good as well. So you got a like Gillette now have, have recently made a new advert, you know, to encourage men to buy razors that like help them trim their pubes, or you know, you got to make it look good so women, you know, can appreciate that as well. So it's like another challenge, another possible anxiety men are sort of put on them. Yeah, to no. manage the aesthetic appearance. Does it look straight? you know right you know that kind of stuff and it's a complicated one because Mm. when you were talking about dance you know this is this it's it's this razor's edge isn't Mm. it of like men don't feel like we're i don't feel like men are very often embodied we're not we're often like quite distant from our bodies Mm. like we're kind of culturally encouraged to be distant Mm. from our bodies in certain ways whereas women are encouraged to be always thinking Mm. about their bodies which Mm. is a different problem and that's the problem isn't it Mm. it's like it's a razor's edge because you we want men to be more comfortable with their mm. bodies more like like i think men want to feel pretty mm. but i think that then there's that line mm. whereby we go over and we're already over mm. that line yeah. as you're saying mm. like loads and loads of men in lots of different ways are really mm. really body conscious mm. like it's it's much bigger issue than i mm. i sometimes give it credit for like which is not to say it isn't worse for mm. women this is generally the case but mm. yeah if we move into making men care about their bodies then capitalism and all of these other systems mm. jump make, on it. yeah jump on <laughs> it make us have to kind of do it in a kind of uniform way in mm. a macho way like i bet that that manscaping, which mm. I think in a way is quite a feminine idea, mm. uh, I bet it's sold to men still in a macho way. Well, one of the ways they sell it is if you trim your pubes, it makes your penis look bigger. Right, 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 right. So that links in. Straight. So not about like <laughs> not about like style, not like yeah, yeah. about making it. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I, I guess, and that's true too. Mm. Like pubic hair is almost mm. increasingly more and more men shave off all mm. their pubic hair, don't they? I mean, I, I believe, yeah. I hear. I think I that must be due to porn. I think. I think so. Yeah. Because like in porn, it's pretty standard now that everyone shaves everything. So yeah, like 
But it'll be for yeah. a similar reason that you yeah. just said as well. Yeah. It'll be to make yeah. it look bigger. Mm. Or there's all of these mm. ideas about cleanliness, which are mm. a bit suspect, mm. actually, and it's more complicated mm. than that anyway. Mm. But, like, yeah, I guess it is free mm. porn. I mean, mm. but it does seem like if we're, if we're going to have the social expectation that women should shave or mm. the care of, mm. it feels like at least, at, least, at least every man that expects that of a woman, and mm. just to make it clear, <laughs> I absolutely don't expect that of a woman. But, like, any man that expects somebody else to mm. shave all of their pubic yeah. hair should probably shave their own, right? Yeah. Well, but then that person wouldn't necessarily find yeah. that attractive. Right? Yeah. I don't know, it's complicated. And that scares them in daylight, so I mean, the idea of shaving my balls. I've I, done that. Oh. I, have, I had uh, a... <laughs> yeah, 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 I have. I, um, yeah, because I, I had uh, a vasectomy, so I had yeah. to uh, shave my uh, <laughs> shave my balls. Uh, and it is terrifying, yeah. yeah. I agree. Like, like I agree. they don't look like they want to be shaved. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, they're not. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like, it's a day. I feel it's a very. Yeah. I mean, I was definitely scared. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Like, if I'd have, I'm clumsy. <laughs> that's that's the main thing. I'm a clumsy person, but I'm not. You know, lots of women are clumsy. Like, mm. lots of women have to negotiate this kind of problem themselves. Mm. Um, so I did think of that when I was shaving my, my, my pubic area for my operation. I did think, you know, lots of women are doing this very regularly. Um, and obviously that's their choice and I respect their, their right to have mm. choice. But I also, that choice is made within a real complicated sociological mm. framework of pressures mm. that make us all feel that we have to do X, Y, Z. Mm. And it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting, like, because when we, when we sat down, I think I didn't, I didn't fully appreciate the kind of work you were doing mm. when, before we sat down. And so it's kind of been quite a nice surprise, but also probably quite a, like, I was, I was gearing up for, to go in one very, very different direction for this yeah. conversation, but I'm really enjoying it. So yeah. that's not a critique, but that's just interesting. Because first of all, I didn't know that there was so much of what you did was interested in sociology, mm. that kind of tradition of kind of analysis. Mm. But also, yeah, I, th- I feel like when someone says to me masculinities, mm. and I'm not saying that you're not touching on some very serious topics as yep. part of these these topics that you're looking at, mm. but they're quite they're like they're light dance. Mm. Uh, penises, okay. I'm not saying there's not some complexity mm. there, but like penises still. You're looking at kind of a almost. It's like it's not it's not shallow, but you're looking at the 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 things that we can see very clearly. Like mm-hmm. I guess, and like like the more every day, I guess. Yeah, like, every day. That's yeah. the word I'm looking yeah. for. Thank you yeah. Uh, yeah. for for mm. finding a, a good word to sum up yeah. what you're talking about. And that's mm. yeah, every day, and not like like you know when I mm. think about masculinities, I go straight to all of the kinds of topics mm. in my show. Like I'm like mm. you know right rape culture, mm. like you know violence against women. But then you don't have to scare the living daylights out of people always to sort of connect with them. You no, know? absolutely. Like, you know like if I talk to like. My family members, they can sort of comprehend because, you know, some of the stuff I'm talking about because they've had similar experiences themselves. Right. So you can still get to some of those points that you seem interested in, like really challenging, like, the, the, you know, the, some of those male domination issues. Right. But you can do it also through everyday activities. No, I agree. Just from, you know, from having a drink at a bar to dancing in a dance class, you know, it doesn't have to go straight to rape and, you know, beating women. And, you know, you can, you can do it in multiple ways. You can... Indeed. Know, those... I mean, to make it clear as well, to anyone who hasn't heard my show, I don't go straight to those topics. Sorry. No, 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 no fair enough. I made it sound like <laughs> no, that. Sorry, sorry. Um, but you're right. Like, but, 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 but I guess you, by looking at these kind of everyday a- a- areas of masculinity, yeah. you, can, you can then look at the mm. darker areas. But mm. I mean, like it was interesting to me that the way that you were looking mm. at lad culture mm. was a little bit 
kind of was was a lighter touch than I was expecting. Mm. Like it was like, oh, these are so a lot of these are very mm. everyday again mm. everyday behaviors well that's and the thing like most people are going for the dark side and so are missing lots so i guess that's true you know so especially when you talk to like guys who sort of they wouldn't call themselves sexist they see homophobia as bad of course and then they're still labeled and being they're not happy with the way people are talking about it so i'm trying to get their perspective as well I'm trying to you know understand both sides you know, as many sides as possible so then we can productively yeah. move forward right. rather than just leaving people behind and stereotyping them and putting them in a box that doesn't fit so that's what I'm trying to do there at least no I mean I yeah. agree with you I think it is a mm. complex it is a complex thing mm. a comedian that I know mm. uh, through Facebook who I'm not going to name and I don't think it would be a problem if I did but they were doing some comedy about the DUP they're an Irish comedian I should mm. say and they were doing um, some comedy about the DUP about kind of abortion rights for women who, who's that the DUP Democratic Unionist Party okay the uh, so at the moment, the Tory government are being propped up by a small uh, amount of Northern oh, Irish yeah. uh, politicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the DUP. Yeah. And he's an, from Ireland, so he was making a joke about them and about abortion rights um, and, like, pro. Like, he was saying, you know, he was a man standing on stage saying we need women, deserve, you know, need abortion rights, um, you know, within a comic way. Um, and he was stopped in when he was performing his show by someone in the audience who said, you can't talk about those issues. And that's a complicated world we're living in now when that, that interaction can happen. I'm not, I'm not saying people shouldn't heckle if they want to heckle, mm. and I'm not saying that woman didn't have some validity. I didn't hear the joke. Mm. I, I trust him, but that's, I'm a man trusting him, mm. from my, my, and I mm. haven't heard the joke. But I think that... It is incumbent on men to talk about uh, these things. If, if it's only women who are asking for abortion rights, mm. we're not going to get abortion rights like for everyone in the right way that they mm. should be. Like, if, if you're going to change what's happening in Northern mm. Ireland, uh, you have to have Irish men mm. <laughs> in that conversation to change that mm. law and that system around it, right? And so it is an interesting world we're living in whereby quite correctly in some ways many men uh in kind of liberal circles are kind of considering how much space we're taking up women are quite rightly hammering home quite correctly uh that white men are systematically a Mm. real problem and that in within our personal interactions that problem is still within the way we we live our lives Mm. But but it is a it is a contradiction. Mm. Like if we completely take men out of everything, that won't work. You're absolutely right. If men feel attacked, they're not necessarily going to mm. listen. Yeah. I want to change men's minds. Yeah, and so that you will get men on board, and they got to appreciate why it's beneficial for them and others for them to change. Well, yeah. Like if like if I was a sexist man and I got all my privileges, why the hell would I want to change? You got to convince me that it's it's beneficial. Yeah. If not, they won't well, change. Well, you don't have to necessarily convince well, them that it's be- beneficial. Yeah. There's a few mm. different ways you can convince them. It's true. People. You know, you could shame them, I guess. And... Shame's one, yeah. and I don't think it works. Mm. And I think that that is part of the problem mm. that we have, that men are mm. quite often shamed in certain ways mm. that don't actually help us to change mm. their behaviours. I think that's mm. fair. But I don't think it's just to find out that it's in your best interest. Mm. There is also empathy. There is also Mm. like doing things for altruistic reasons, Mm. fairness, those kind Mm. of things. But I agree. Mm. uh, Self-interest is a more effective (laughs) change uh, in people, like way of changing people. Mm. 
you're right mm-hmm. and that's the that's the case but then at the same time people who are systematically oppressed uh, have a lot of validity in being mm. super pissed off <laughs> and not wanting to listen or think mm. about the best tactics for changing people mm. because they're just super angry, yeah. understandably. Mm. And yet being the receiver of anger, mm. when, when you receive that anger, does that make you change? I mean, I don't know, mm. it's super complicated. I'm not pl- telling mm. anyone how to do it. Mm. I don't have any answers. Mm. Do you have any answers? No. <laughs> like one of the uh, like the good things about like uh, about 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 Michel Foucault's uh, work that I like is he he always criticizes like the problems, but then he doesn't offer any like hard solutions. Right. Which is like some people see it as a cop out, but I actually quite like the idea in the sense that even if I did give a solution, that solution wouldn't apply to all contexts, and it might not even work, and I just might make it worse so at least for the moment now I'm more happy to sort of pick out the problems and you know and let's talk about them but I don't know what the answers are right you know, I could possibly make some rough suggestions but they're not you know they're very contextualized relating to this context you know they try and make broad claims about all the different contexts and all the different complexities it's it's you know I think you're setting yourself up for failure but um that's something I have to think about in the future, you know, yeah. trying to make more like hands-on changes and in specific contexts. But yeah, I'm not sure to be honest. No, fair. I mean, <laughs> fair enough. And and it's interesting, like that you're looking at it in this way. And I mm. like I like the fact that you are you are listening mm. to the men as like mm. involved in this. It's mm. not something I'm natu- I would naturally be able to do. So I think mm. it's nice. Mm. Like I have. I'm structurally privileged in lots of ways and so putting list I should be the one who has to like reason with people who are also stru- structurally privileged and try and mm. change their try, try and change their views around mm. masculinity I feel like but at the same time I have a very low tolerance in in lots of ways or not even low tolerance I'm afraid of men to be honest I'm afraid of lots of men because lots of men have not been very mm. uh un- like unthreatening in my life right mm. and so I like the fact that you are quite positive about men and you're some, someone who's studying masculinities mm. is that fair to say? And I think there's definitely lots of positives like to take away especially over the last like 15-20 years there's been like radical changes in our society I think in terms of like masculinity especially amongst youth cultures I think you know, you know right. radical change for less homophobia or at least explicit less explicit homophobia right and uh, you know more men engaging in Activities that were previously defined as feminine, you know, yeah. from like wearing makeup, wearing pink, dressing differently, and a whole range of different, you know, going to dance classes. There was definitely lots of positives, but then you got like a long history of male domination, which unfortunately some of the new positive things that you mentioned earlier get sort of woven back into traditional values. Right. So it's hard to separate what of the new stuff is genuinely positive or alternative or actors like feminists or some form of resistance or what is just new and looks positive but underneath is still just reinforcing what we've done before right you know a bit like that sort of shaving your pubes is that engaging with yeah this new positive thing that men can care about themselves but then oh actually it's just about looking having a big penis which is like an old-fashioned idea so it's not easy to you know work out these new positive things whether they're positive or whether they just reinforced old values no right and that's Mm. fair and i think also like you like you say like i think separating those things out is even harder because there's all of these positives that are happening Mm. in lots of ways for men Mm. but they aren't necessarily 
changing in other areas mm. so if we become able to like mm. hug each other mm. and uh, dance mm. and uh, share our feelings and all of this stuff <laughs> yeah um but we don't uh mm. stop you know all of these other things like pay uh, yeah. pay differences pay differences between, like, or, or, or yeah. domestic children mm. domest- i mean i say this as mm. as you know someone who has has negotiated in different ways the kind of gender split of domestic chores and how that works in a household. Mm. And, you know, I can't necessarily say that I tick all the boxes that I would like to tick, Mm. um, but then there's complexities around the way that domestic chores are are coded anyway. Mm. And, like, the way that... So that's another area I think is complex. Mm. Uh, Women feel more pressure to be domestic quite Mm. often. Um, But that doesn't mean that being domestic is the right thing to be like lots of I know lots of messy women I just don't happen to go out with one of them um, and, 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 and those messy women if they kept their house messy that would be almost a feminist statement if I keep my house messy that is not a feminist statement you see and so it's a, these are the complexities that we're, mm. we're dealing with but the thing is if women are doing all of the labour in lots of ways mm. And men are then having all of the fun bits of being women without the sexual harassment mm. and other things that come with, you know, being a woman in the world. Then we're really having our cake and eat it, mm. right? So I feel like if if we are ha- if we are enjoying this cake, mm. that's why it's our job then mm. to to make sure we're sharing that cake mm. around. Like mm. the, the things that are good about being feminine, we should have. But mm-hmm. we should allow women mm. the things that are good about being masculine. masculine. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, yeah. yeah, and not just about being masculine, because because mm. that that accepts that like these mm. things are actually, you know, real. Like the, yeah. the, 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 it's they a, exist like uh, universally. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, It's again socially constructed. But what like, is masculine? Yeah. But like being a leader yeah. or mm. being that is not a masculine quality <laughs> necessarily. You see, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. but it's coded masculine. Yeah. But we should let women be yeah. leaders. Mm. I mean, let they mm. you know let's the wrong word in itself. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it, and that's why it is super complicated. Mm. In, in terms of trying to understand an issue or a topic or something that's happening, I don't think one person has like the whole understanding of an issue to like understand an issue whether it's ladism or representation of penises or men's experience of dancing different people got different uh, experiences so the more people you talk to the more you can understand that from different perspectives and build up a more like multi-perspective understanding yeah uh, which makes sense for me at least and then in terms of like changing men and changing like either individual men or men as a group or in a society I think it's important to have like the resources around for men to draw upon to justify change, you know, like if you don't have the resources or the, or the the support, in, you know, for men to, you know, they need to be able to justify that they're. It's it's really quite sad in in a way. They need to keep justifying that they're masculine, whatever masculine might be, however we define it. We need a resource, like okay, yes, I'm going to support my wife in the, and we're going to equally share the domestic chores. In some way, they need support to draw upon that that is still masculine. But why? I mean, I we could know. get rid of the idea of masculinity altogether. That would be that's like the hard, ideal. Hard that is like a st- that's, game. that's like 40, uh, 50 years away. Or that might never happen. I think we're sort of trying to. But it also, I mean, I yeah. think from. To, but surely, in some ways, to many people who are not um, positioned as masculine and men in this mm. in this culture, yeah. like 
giving men lots of support in order to do stuff that women are having to do all of the or, time. Or, or no, I'm like, not saying do you that. see what I mean? I'm that just might like, giving be them like, sort of like, to make changes, people need like resources to, to no, but support I agree with you too, what I they're doing, you know, to justify, you know. I think I agree with you. I'm just presenting know, a different mm, way mm, that people might look mm, at it. Like, like, it's hard to justify stuff without any like support for you. Like some kind of, uh, like the word I keep coming back to is a discourse. It, maybe you read something in the newspaper, or you saw it on TV, or you watched a movie, and then you say, "Oh, look, that person's doing that." So that you know, yeah, I, I can sort of do the same thing as them, and for them it was okay, and so for me it's you okay. have to be shown it's okay. Weirdly, I, or, and or I think I don't it think helps that's at least. Well, I don't, and also I don't think that's just yeah. something that we can talk about in mm. terms of masculinity. I think all no, of these things are mm. equally a, a, mm. applicable to to femininity mm. and to women. Like mm. women are are positioned in certain ways. They're they're told mm. they should be this mm. way or that that way and the only ways mm. that women can break those mm. kind of uh roles often is to mm. ha- to see that in the discourse to see mm. women doing you know wh- mm. whatever it is that they have to aspire to so i don't think so it- that's why i think the media is so important because like the media is like one of the most profound things in society where you get messages about how you can or should live your life right so it's like that's why i'm so interested in critiquing the media or seeing what they're portraying you know what what are the common messages in in movies in kids tv shows about okay what role does the boy take what role does the girl take what role does the man take and you know this is the messages we're pumped every day and it's you know it depends what messages we're pumped with depends what options we've got right (laughs) or it's going to shape us massively that and your everyday interactions but I'm particularly interested in the media as well. So. No, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's a powerful tool, you know. It's a powerful, it's a powerful tool and mm. a weapon. Yeah. Like, that's the problem. Mm. Like, it's, it's both. And mm. so it's really interesting. I think we're having, at the moment, in our media, certainly in social media in lots of ways, the most positive kind of pushback against... Mm a singular idea of masculinity, a singular Mm. idea of femininity, a singular idea of gender, of sexuality. We're getting all of those things. Mm. All those things are being challenged in ways they've never been challenged before. Mm. At the same time as we're getting the the traditional messages also Mm. pushed, like, (laughs) solidly, like, at us, really solidly. Mm. So it is a real, it is a real kind of, I don't know, it's a it's a real kind of difficulty to ne- negotiate that space, mm. but it's interesting. Like as well, when I was talking about the dark sides of masculinities, mm. I mean, I feel like I almost positioned that as like these are the things to criticise men for. But mm. the area of masculinities that you know I, I I guess get the most press are you know mental health issues, suicide rates, like all of the the things that. So in terms of showing men that they have a reason to change Mm. those are the biggest reasons if you want like for Mm. your own health for your own future for Mm. your happiness Mm. like that's and that's what dance is showing Mm. and like so it doesn't have to so it's interesting like it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be self-interest as such it can just be self-actualization or as i like to think of it liberation right Mm. like that we can we can find the things within ourselves that we've always wanted to be and Mm. and be them and that's what's in it Mm. for changing right Mm. but i mean i don't know that there's a lot of people saying Mm. what i'm saying there's there's a lot of people saying similar things to Mm. what you're saying out there as you say Mm. so maybe we're at a cultural moment Mm. where things are changing but then at the same time you know we've got Donald Trump in America mm. in the White House. We've got, you know, whilst we've got a woman leader in this country, mm. I would say she's one of the most patriarchal mm. uh, woman leaders I've ever known. So, so I think there's like so many forces and so many different uh, topics that are overlapping 
that you don't know what's going to come next. It's so unpredictable society, and, right? Uh, which is fascinating but scary, but just the way it is. I think you know. So right. Like, you know, we've been talking about masculinity, but in, in a quite sort of quite contained, but that's overlapping as you mentioned before with class issues, with immigration that intersects. So there's a whole range of different things happening in society that we don't know where it's going to go next. Or at least I don't. At least, but. I'm interested to find out and pay attention and think about it. Well, that's a good position to be in. And talk about it with my students and just trying to get them to think critically as well. And, you know, trying to, I guess my teaching for my students is just trying to get them to, like, filter out the bullshit or critique the bullshit, you know. And so they can, like, identify, well, that doesn't make sense. Where's your logic for that argument? Where's your logic for this? So I can get my students thinking critically so then when they do read the media or engage, you know, they can't be duped. They're more skilled at being critical about the media messages they're right. open to. Yeah, no, mm. I mean, well, that's good. And mm. I think you're right. People who dismiss media studies mm. or, like, being aware of pop culture, mm. like, people who dismiss those things as mm. kind of trivial mm. are really missing what's mm. making society work <laughs> and uh, function. You know, like, there's always this idea that media studies is like a, oh, that's yeah. a Mickey Mouse degree. Mm. Um, but, like, I... I you know, a lecturer of mine ended up being a, a media studies uh, teacher. And, he was, mm. and when I talked to him, uh, he was saying exactly this, like that the media studies is, mm. that's that's culture. That's basically the most mm. important thing to be holding to account mm. and studying mm. is the media. Like anyone who tells you not to look at the media <laughs> are probably trying to get you to sort of like not engage with the problems mm. that are there, you know, <laughs> in whatever way that is. So yeah, I mean, we, we, yeah, I better, I probably better wrap up. I'm, I'm like, haven't even got to podcasts and promotion mm-hmm. and blogs and how that works. We can talk about that off mic too. Of course. Well, like, it's, it's, I think this has been the longest conversation I've had with someone about masculinities in a while, and it's thoroughly enjoyable. And uh, I would love to do it again. I, I mean, and... I can talk about masculinities <laughs> forever. So be careful. I can, tell, care- I can careful. tell. I can tell. Um, but, That's very enjoyable. But the last, the last question that I ask everybody mm. is: Do you have anything to plug? Um, I think the only thing I need to plug is I'm going to make a blog as soon as possible and learn about podcasts as soon as possible. And I'm going to be more active on social media. As you said, it, it was. It, it sounds like one of the places where people are having more alternative conversations and promoting ideas that are not given from the mainstream media. So there's lots of like everyday conversation, you know, people discussing stuff. And I need to get involved more proactively with conversations there. So I will soon have a blog called Dancing Gender. Dancing Gender. I think that's what I'm going to call it. Dancing Gender. It was the title of my PhD, so I'm stealing that, but I like the short and snappy Dancing Gender. So hopefully I'll be on there soon. You have a read. And are you on like Twitter or whatever? So they yes, can I'm on you. Twitter now, Twitter now, but uh, I'm just starting to tweet. Right. I'm just starting to tweet, but uh, I need to be more proactive tweeting as well. So how, what's, what's your, how, what, what is your handle on Twitter? Uh, I think it's Craig's Research. Craig's research. I can literally fact check that. Uh, <laughs> That's the thing. I don't even know, you know. Hence why I'm so. Look, I'm just. Yeah. This is a rarity. I don't if think I normally. I never look at my uh, phone on uh, when I'm doing this show. It, it's got a banner of banner picture at the top of uh, some dancers, so that will give it away. Uh, that, I, I like, you see, the, if you see, if I'd have uh, Craig's research. Yeah, there you are. Yeah. 
Yeah, good picture. A good picture, yeah, I made that one myself. It's like four four pictures edited into one. <laughs> and well, also, I like your profile picture. I had, I'm like literally following you as like on live on mic. And uh, like, and also, I'm like, like looking at your description. Like, quite often, I've looked at people's mm. description on their Twitter or whatever before I interviewed them, but I haven't before I talked to you today. Mm. And I'm like, oh, I didn't talk mm. to him about that. Oh, I didn't talk to him <laughs> about that. I should have talked to him about that. Um, but no, uh, that's been a really, a really interesting conversation. Yeah. The last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Okay, goodbye. Take care, and thank you for listening. Bye, everyone. I held this episode back a little bit so that Craig's blog could go online. It's there now, dancinggender.wordpress.com. And you can hear my solo show, What About the Men, Mansplaining Masculinity. As a podcast, it's available on the Stand Up Tragedy podcast feed. It's the last podcast that went out on that feed. You can also read more about the show over on its website, mansplainingmasculinity.com. UK. I've been thinking a lot about my dad and based on that thinking I've been putting together some kind of personal essays I guess. I'm putting one of them out on Medium every Thursday for the next couple of months. They're called Down to a Sunless Sea Memories of My Dad. I'll put a link in the show notes and if you follow me on Twitter Goosefat101 you'll be able to see there when the next one comes out. As well as making Getting Better Acquainted, I also co-produce and, I guess, star in the magical realist audio drama podcast, The Family Tree. In order to keep making it and to make season two as good as we want it to be, we need your help. So if you can afford to, then please do consider signing up to our Patreon appeal. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like Getting Better Acquainted on Facebook. And you can find Getting Better Acquainted on iTunes, SoundCloud, those kind of places. But remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.